Welcome to Shofar Ronnebosch Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. That it's a holy offering um, and that there's a harvest to be gained from it, Lord. Thank you that we can choose this morning to yield our hearts to you. We can consecrate this message. Thank you for what it is that you want to do and that we can ask this morning that you would do that in our hearts. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I was at Jason and Marianne's wedding last night. So amazing. Weddings are incredible. Um, Weddings are obviously a picture of the great wedding that's coming that we will all be invited to. So if you weren't invited last night, don't worry. You are invited to the biggest wedding coming ever. Um, Hopefully you'll be invited as a friend of the bridegroom. (laughs) Trust that all of us here will. Just so amazing always to see that picture of Christ and the bride. But it's my privilege this morning to share with you, and I keep thinking of Marianne this morning. This is her kind of message. So uh, she'll get it after honeymoon. (laughs) Um, But she's really someone who lives the things that I want to share this morning. So I want to tell you first a story, a real story, with a picture. So 2006, I hope you can see there. I don't know why it's so dark. It's Reynard Bonke, who knows who he is. Okay, evangelist, originally from Germany, preaches mostly in Africa, well, preaches actually all over the world, but really feels a calling towards Africa. One of his taglines is, Africa shall be saved. In 2006, I had the incredible privilege of going to one of his crusades in Nigeria. Um, they invited two or four pastors from each country as VIPs to go with him um, and then see the crusade. So typically at one of his crusades in an evening, there would be between 400,000 and a million people attend. Um, so f- for one, it's the most people I've ever seen in one place. Um, and somehow... Pastor Sias from Stellenbosch managed to get 12 of us on the South African representative team. So the, the group we were going with were all pastors. We were interns. Raina was there as well. We, was, we were not dating yet then. Um, it's way back. And we were just so privileged to, to spend time with these people who are impacting the kingdom everywhere in the world. I wonder who they thought we were, <laughs> kids <laughs> hanging around. Um, and on the first evening of the crusade, he preached the gospel, and then he started reading words for um, healing, uh, words of knowledge that he got for healing, and one of them was for people that would get up out of wheelchairs. So then we sat on stage with him, and you see just the sea of people. You can maybe show the next one there. Believe it or not, that's me. (laughs) It's about (laughs) a few extra kilograms there. Um, I weighed more in my first year than I weighed uh, in either of my pregnancies at the end. So um, It's called first year syndrome. Look at the people. This is like you stand on the stage and that's the horizon, okay? So you just see people all the way to the horizon. You, so even if you're on the stage, you can't see where the people end. It's like the whole world is full of people. You just see people up to where the <laughs> globe ends. Um, so if you just go on back again to the wheelchair. So, so then you sit on the stage, then you see where people with wheelchairs are because it starts moving there, like in different spots in the crowd. And then people start opening like a little gap where the wheelchair people are and people around them are checking if they're getting up. And then some of them get up and then they start walking to the stage. And then someone around them, like a few people around them, would carry the wheelchair. So from the stage, in various places in the audience, you see like this little pocket opening up, and then you see this like you know this little line opening, and they're coming towards you, and there's like a wheelchair in the air. And then they get on stage, and then um, he he interviews them. So this is the first time in my life that I've seen it. It's the first time that I've seen someone get up out of a wheelchair. I have since been privileged to see it more times than I can count, not specifically wheelchairs, but that as well, but just healings and miracles. Um, So I was a Christian for a few years by this time. I was doing internship at the church. I was spirit-filled. I believed in the miraculous. I was there with a hungry heart. I wanted to see God move. 
and I see the first guy getting up out of the wheelchair coming onto the stage and who can guess what my thought was? What's Megan saying? It's staged, yeah. How does Megan know that? <laughs> Happened to her. <laughs> Honestly, I couldn't believe it and I didn't tell anyone of course but I sat on the stage and I thought, surely it's not real. Who's this guy? Who knows if he was really, you know, paralyzed? How can you tell? How can you really verify this? Sure, maybe arrived in a wheelchair, but when anyone, I can arrive in a wheelchair and get up, you know? Why would I think that? Who's had a similar experience? Glad I'm not alone. <laughs> Why would you think that? And you know, it took me, that's all they did that week, I did that week, is I, I wrestled through this thing of unbelief. I've kept keeping on questioning. Of course, I did this in my head. <laughs> I wasn't going to tell anyone. <laughs> um, but it, it was so difficult for me. I just could not get over this feeling that it's not real. And show the next one there, the third one. So this is just for entertainment value. This is Sias who led the team. This, this is um, Pastor William Kurizen, who used to be the chauffeur pastor in Tigerberg. Reinhard Prince, Johan Hunter, he, for many years after this, he was the head um, finance guy chauffeur. I think that's Ryan, I'm not sure. Do you know who that is? It's Reino. <laughs> looks so young. <laughs> she and her husband, Christine, they pastored in Joburg, you know, after this. Uncle Gert, um, Tracy and Harvey, and me. I um, want to read a scripture to you from Proverbs. You can bring that one for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. I've preached the whole sermon about this, and you can catch up on that, so I won't repeat everything. But essentially, the one side I just want to give is, I believe that as a Christian, you should use your mind. I believe God wants you to think. I believe reasoning is of the Lord. Um, but what the scripture is saying is that you cannot lean on your understanding. Okay, So your understanding is good. There's nothing wrong with your understanding. You should use your understanding. But if this was your understanding... The problem is that if you lean on it and someone takes it, then you fall. Okay, so this was partly the problem that I had in 2006, is that I was leaning on my understanding. And I, even though I've read the Bible and I really wanted to see a miracle, really, really wanted to see a miracle, when I finally saw it, I couldn't seem to not lean on my understanding. I was just tripping all over the place, <laughs> over my understanding. So you can just put the slides off for a bit tighter. So we've got core values as a church. And last year we spent a, a lot of time and we had a big process to get to some core values. And we've, sp we've spent time this year already speaking about being together. And this coming week as well, um, the th some of the few things that we committed to this year, this week coming up, who knows what's this week coming up. Thank you. <laughs> Invite someone to your house for dinner who's not in church. Okay, so that's what's coming up this week. Just a reminder for you. And this morning is a vision Sunday. So we have five vision Sundays in the year. And then we focus on a specific core value. And this morning I'm focusing on living with fire. I don't think you, you should have favorites, but it's my favorite. And um, we've specifically looked at being together and now we're looking at living with fire. Something that I specifically want to invite you to is Songs of the Prophets. So Michelle mentioned it in the announcements. Um, the ticket sales are open now and if you buy before 17th of March it's cheaper. Um, but we, this Thursday evening we saw we had the final live audition and we, we chose 12 songs and we saw them being performed live here. People from various churches and ministries, widespread different styles of music, um, different influences, and I'm really, I, I'm, the songs are playing in my head every hour of the day. I can't verbalize to you how amazing 
songs we have, what amazing songs we've gotten. Really prophetic, really um, speaking to the country for this time. Believe the Lord to bring a big shift at the event. And even in our intercession, to, there were two big parts to it. The one is that the musicians and those of us organizing, we we putting ourselves out there and saying, God, use us. And we believe that through the music and the sound that comes out, something in the atmosphere shifts. But, you know, and I often say this, in Christianity, everything works through hearts. There's nothing aside from your heart. When we speak about dry ground, we're speaking about dry hearts. There's nothing literal about the ground, you know what I mean? When we speak about God changing a place, it changes the hearts of the people in the place. The heart is the access point that God works through. And even in our intercession, what we really saw was that each person who's there that night, we believe God will bring a massive shift in hearts. And this is what we're trusting for. So I'd love for you to be there and to join us and to also add your faith with us. You know, everyone on stage, it's not enough to bring the shift in the spirit. Every single person who comes adds their faith. And invite people as well. And, and, and as last year, we, last year we invited 100, so the, the venue seats, 600, 100 people we invited with three VIP tickets. Um, people who are involved in ministry, in government, in municipalities, in leaders of organizations, people who the Lord wants to speak to in the city. And if you are connected to someone like that, please come and speak to me or Reino or Armand. Uh, we would gladly consider inviting them with a free VIP ticket. We believe it's a platform for the Lord to speak. Obviously, this is not limited to Christians, specifically even if people are not connected to God. But whether they are or not, if it's someone in this city who's influential, we need to see what the Lord is saying, and you have a connection to them, come and let us know. We'll invite them. So we're talking about living with fire. Um, and, you know, last year, at some point in the year before, when we were talking about fire, we said, we just be careful because people were setting things um, on fire on campus. And so let's just be maybe a little bit specific about what we mean. <laughs> um, and, you know, fire is quite a literal word, and as Christians we have a certain interpretation of it. So what I mean when I say fire, I mean supernatural love, I mean the presence of God, and I mean the supernatural. I mean power, power in the Christian sense in the way that God brings it. Myself and Raina went to see a show in the theater. Um, Bianca blessed us. Thank you, Bianca. <laughs> and it was so um, enjoyable and insightful. And I, I knew the story up front. Um, it was really a good rendition of it um, at the Artscape. And something specifically stood out to me. Now, there's no way for me to know whether it's a completely accurate rendition of what happens. I'm sure no one could know exactly because no one that was there, still alive anymore. Um, but I know that the way they portrayed this kind of thing, even if it wasn't exactly like that in this situation, this kind of thing definitely happened and definitely happens today. So the show we went to see was Kritua. Do you want to put that up? Who's familiar with the story itself? Very few people, okay. Um, so she lived in the time of Jan van Riebeek, and she was a translator for the Fiewesia. And she later married one of Jan van Riebeek's men. And um, this is basically her life story. Remember the name and Google it. It's a worthwhile story to read in the context of our country. And this was all happening around the building which we bought. So it's very relevant. And obviously, um, very... Um, moving story and it just portrays her life and you know just all the different things that happened so she becomes she starts to integrate with the dutch group of people and in the story um at some point she decides okay she's going to marry one of these men and actually by that time she's already had children with some of the men and they said for her to marry one of the men she has to get baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, in the rendition that we saw, she comes to the baptism and she says to the, the guy performing the baptism, I don't know what he is, priest or dominie or pastor or whatever, spiritual authority, she says to him, but what does a baptism mean? And he says to her, it means you become part of the covenant and from now on you will be um, a kind of a child of the covenant. 
and he baptizes her in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And later on, she struggles with this identity crisis where she didn't go through her traditional initiation. And she feels that she's lost her identity because she, she feels that her baptism has brought her into the identity of the Dutch people. And she, comes, she often comes back, and, and in this rendition, the baptism becomes this pivotal thing to her. And she often comes back, and again, she says to them, but what does it mean? And I found it so striking that in the whole story, people keep giving her the correct answer. It, there's theologically nothing wrong with what they are saying, but there's no heart. No one who explains to her what's going on shows love to her. In fact, she's treated terribly, really terribly um, abused, and it, it also doesn't end well. And the theological correct words come across to her. But in this rendition, it does not seem that anyone understands it themselves. It's just words. It's just an empty ritual. So this is what I would call, there's no fire. Okay, it's, it's completely dead. And in these moments where she comes and she has this wrestle and she says, um, what does it mean? And they give her this theologically amazingly polished answer with absolutely no heart and love behind it. It's, it's like, you know, this is the moment. This is the moment where she's looking for God. She wants to connect with God. And how eternally sad that there is no one around her who seems to be able to connect her to God. It doesn't seem that there's someone around who really knows him. Like I said, I don't, we don't know. We weren't there. This is a rendition of it. But, but this is often the case, and I'm sure this was often the case. And this, this opportunity represents every time she says, but what does the baptism mean? And eventually it never gets answered. And there's just a sense of loss on every side. And um, this is why, as Christians, we can never slip back to form and function and empty words. Perfect theology is not enough. There's even a scripture in John that says, you, you search the scriptures, for in, you think in them you have eternal life, but you will not come to me to have life. Now we know that we need relationship with God. It's not enough to study this book. It's amazing if you study the Bible, and you should, and it's amazing to memorize it, but it's not enough. It's not enough just to know the words. If you look at that play, they were reciting the words perfectly, but it meant nothing. In fact, probably have been better if they didn't use those words because they made, it, they made the power of God to no effect by making it empty words. So in the worst-case scenario, this is a lack of fire. Obviously, as Christians, we want to always be growing. We want to be growing in love, supernatural love. We want to be growing in the supernatural. We want to be growing in the power of God. Why do we actually need fire? It's possible to come to salvation, to be a good Christian, to have a few moral standards, try and live your life by them, come to church, get through your life, be a decent person, and die one day. That's possible. It's a bit mediocre, it's possible. Even that's not even always that easy. Um, but that's not really what I want. I want to know God. I want to move with Him where He goes. I want to see what He does. I want to be part of it. I want my life to extend beyond just the average. Um, I want to partner with Him. I want to know Him more. And the reality is that there's a world of people that know, know Jesus. And for me to live the average good life might or might not lead one or two people to Jesus through what they see. You know, those, um, just don't preach the gospel. Don't, you don't have to say a word, just live it. That might, lead, might or might not lead one or two people to Jesus. Um, but when I live a life that's clearly supernatural, that's filled with the love and the power of God, that impacts the world. And when we live that life together, that leads people to Jesus. And this, I hope this is not a surprise to you, but this is what we live for, is because people are not saved. So when you meet Jesus, you know that you will live for eternity with him in perfection in heaven. So why when you meet Jesus did you not just go directly? It's really better there than here. It really is. 
you didn't go because everyone else is not there yet. And if we all go, how will they know? How will they get there? Now, having more of God's presence, more of God's power, more of God's love, and living in more of it, the question is not, is it possible? And the question is not, is it for you? The question is, how much do you want it? Do you want it and how badly do you want it? It's there. It's available. It's all through scripture. And it's available for you. God is not a respect of persons. He doesn't choose some people above others. The question is, do you want it? And how much do you want it? And that is what is described by hunger. And that is some of what I want to share today. So a few years ago, I um, went to a conference and with Rainer and we took some students and it was quite a um, um, circus. It was crazy. People were singing, falling, shaking, laughing, screaming. Um, yeah, everything that you can imagine. I was completely shocked. Um, regretted taking a group of students. <laughs> Didn't know what I was going to tell them. Um, saw lots of different things happening and really, um, really couldn't figure out what was going on. So the fact that I was in this Christian gathering and things were confusing and I was trying to make sense of what was going on, that's completely fine. It's, it's not wrong of me to test what is going on. And I've, I've stood there and I've, we stayed and I watched what was going on. And I actually took a year just to process with the Lord what I saw and to see, to try to not lean on my understanding. Um, because I'd have really encountered the presence of the Lord there with everything else. And um, took a year to wrestle through things. And um, I just want to read a few scriptures to you. There's a book from Jack Deere called Surprised by the Power of the Spirit, which really um, describes this quite well, and I can recommend you to read the book if you want just a really nice, thorough explanation. So I'm going to read some of those. I'm going to start with Matthew 28 verse 4. So this is um, after the burial of Jesus. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the to tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. Okay, so an angel appears outside the grave of Jesus. The gods were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Okay, so the gods saw an angel, and it literally says they shook. Okay, what's, how does, how, what is shaking? Okay, they shook, and they became like dead men. Okay, you're welcome to interpret that as you want. For me, it's like they fell over. Probably. I don't know, forward, backwards, I don't know, but they probably fell. Because of the presence of an angel. Matthew 17, verse 6 to 7. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground. Let me just start one verse back. Okay, so after Jesus' um death and resurrection, he appears to them. And when they heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. He said, get up, don't be afraid. So the presence of Jesus manifests, and it says, they fell face down to the ground. So I think it literally means what it says. The presence of Jesus was there, and they fell. We know for it, because it says face down. Daniel 8 Verse 27, so the Lord took Daniel into a vision, and the Lord showed him things, and then it, after that it says, I, was I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. So he had a vision from the Lord, and then after that he lay exhausted for several days. So you, I, I'm not sure if, he was, if it's like when you have the flu and you lie in your bed and you can't go to work or class. Or if he was somewhere on the floor and he was actually lying there for quite a few days. But it says he lay exhausted for several days. Daniel 10. I'm going to read from verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, revelation was given to Daniel. In its message was true. It concerned a great war. 
the understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions. So he had a kind of a fast for three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris. I looked up, and before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz and around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it. But such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. So um, obviously Daniel was seeing Jesus, manifestation of Jesus. So it says what happened with him in the presence of Jesus was he had no strength left. So just imagine, you, it's quite literal, you know, if you have no strength left. So strength went out of his body. His face was pale, and he, felt he was helpless. So he, he, the strength left his body so much that he was helpless. So to me, that's like I envisioned him like, you know, sinking down into a little heap. And then Jesus spoke. Obviously, this is going next level. And as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. So... The, vo the manifest voice of Jesus made Daniel fall. And he actually went into a deep sleep. And, a hand, and then a, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So then Jesus comes to him and touches him and it makes his hands tremble. I don't know what trembling looks like. And his knees. Okay, It wouldn't say that if it didn't literally mean that. Then he said, Daniel, you are highly esteemed. Consider carefully the words which I'm about to speak to you and stand up for I've been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. So the presence of God made Daniel tremble. Literally. Acts 10, verse 20 to 23. Um, so this is Peter, and God is showing him a vision, something to do with his calling. He became hungry, wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Like, there's different ways that that could probably look like. He saw heaven open, something like a large sheet. They said, so the, when they were coming to get him to crucify him, I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. And I find this interesting because, so the soldiers are there, and Jesus walks up to them, and him walking up to them does not make anything happen. Okay, so Jesus himself walks up to them, nothing happens, and they says, who, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus, and then he says, I am he. So he brings revelation. He brings his manifest presence. Is, is Jesus everywhere? Yes. Is the Holy Spirit everywhere? Yes. Is his presence always manifested? No. Okay, so when we say Jesus manifests his presence, it's not like he wasn't there and now he's there. Even in worship today, when Kathleen said it's like a gate opens and Jesus enter, it's not like he wasn't here and now he's here. He's here. He's everywhere. But he chooses to manifest his presence. And in this example, we, we see the moment he brings revelation, he manifests his presence, they drew back and fell to the ground. So these soldiers didn't even believe in Jesus who wanted to kill him. His manifest presence did something little to their bodies and they fell over. Saul's conversion, Acts 9. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters um, so if he found any that belonged to the way, he might take them as prisoners. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. So his body had a literal response to the presence of God. So those are some of the things I had to work through that year, just trying to 
to wrestle with what I've experienced and trying to, to get over this leaning on my own understanding. And um, I went again, consequently, and the Lord really um, wanted to do something specific in my life. And I felt that I needed to open my heart to the Lord. And um, I was in a, in, a, in a setting again where there um, was Christian gathering and people praying. And it, it, there was this question from the Lord, would I trust him to do something in me that I don't necessarily understand? And quite honestly, the previous time I could not. Um, and that is not wrong. It's not wrong for me to question something and to take time to work it through with people, with the Bible. But there was definitely a point where the Lord said to me, I want to do something in your life. And would you, would you just trust me without having to understand it? And there was a point where I was ready for that. And I could say to the Lord, yes. And someone was speaking and they spoke about the glory of God. And they said that the glory, glory actually means weight. It's, it's weighty. And when the person said that, it's like I felt the glory on my back. It's like I felt it in the, in the sky and I could feel it. So I felt my back push down. And I could snap out of it at any moment. I could go, no, 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 this is weird. Not for me. I knew I was in full control of myself and of the situation. But I've now made this decision and said to the Lord, if you want to do something in my life that I don't understand, I'm going to be okay with that. So I was okay to let it go on. So I'm sitting with my back pushed down. And at some point someone said, if you're experiencing something, come and let us pray for you. And I, I, Raina said to me, well, I think that's you. And I got up. And as I got up, half my body exactly down the middle, half was completely paralyzed. Um, but I, it was not fearful in any way, um, and I knew that I could make it stop at any moment. So I, I was wondering how I would get to the front. So I did walk to the front like this. Um, and there was a situation where um, there was someone famous, and, and people were wanting this famous person to pray for them. And I just felt in my heart that I, I don't want, I want to be sure that um, God knows this is between me and him. It's got nothing to do with this famous person. So I said that to God. I said, I'm, I just want to say, I'm coming for you. I'm not coming for this person. And, and as I was walking forward, I, I don't recall what happened. And it, it was a lot of people. And it, it was not like open like this. People were standing everywhere because it was packed. And I just found myself meters back from where I was on the floor I don't know how I got through all the people. I don't know. And um, just in the presence and in the peace of God. And I was just lying there for quite some time until Raina came to fetch me. And um, realized when Raina picked me up that I was completely drunk. So my head was spinning and I couldn't keep my balance. And when I tried to speak to Raina, I was slurring. And um, this was just before Sunday service here at our previous venue. So Raina me in the car and we drove to church. We were in the parking. We were still across the road. And Raina had to come in for the service and he actually left me in the car because it was a bit difficult to explain what's going on because I couldn't speak properly. Like, <laughs> And um, I, I, it was an incredible experience for me. It was really enjoyable. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand what God did. And my life went on, and about a few months later, some really difficult things happened around us circumstantially, and I went through probably the most difficult time of my life, and I found that I had the strength that I needed to get through it, that a, a connection to the Lord, and later on, I, I realized that I believe when I said yes to the Lord, and he, he did something with me that I didn't understand, the Lord put inside of me a capacity to endure suffering. And when it came, I had it. And I, it, it wasn't nothing that I went through was easy for me, but I made it through with the Lord, and I'm still with the Lord, which I count a miracle. 
um, not because of anything on his side, just because I went through some really difficult things. Um, so that was a good exercise for me, and I want to share with you something that I went through in that year, and, and this is really my word this morning for you, is that the Lord really wants to work in us that hunger. There's no point um, wanting to move in more love and more power and, and, and more of the fire of God and more of the supernatural um, and to try to do it. It's not a earning thing. It's not a works thing. It's there for you. The condition is that you should want it because God is such a gentleman. He never does. He doesn't give you something that you don't want. He doesn't do something in your life that you don't want him to do. So really my word this morning is for us to ask the Lord to work that hunger in us. And the year that I tried to, to work through things, the Lord kept taking me back to the book of Mark. So if you have your Bible, I'd like you to open it. Um, can we maybe have lights, Rena? And I'm just going to share with you some of the things that the Lord showed me through the book of Mark. You can put it th uh, the next slide out. Thank you. Actually, amazingly, if you read through Mark, um, just a good reminder of how important deliverance is, so much deliverance that Jesus did um, when just going about his business, and also healing. You almost always see when Jesus came to people, deliverance and healing. And then a big theme in the book of Mark, if you just open at chapter 1, scan through to verse 4, John came baptizing, a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Verse 5, people were baptized in the Jordan River confessing their sins. I'm in chapter 1. Um, verse 14, he's saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is added. Repent and believe in the gospel. And the, the one thing I'm going to highlight this morning is a, hard heart versus a soft heart. In that year when I had to say to the Lord that I would be willing for him to do something in, in my life that I don't necessarily understand, the one thing he showed me was that I had a hard heart and that he wanted to give me a soft heart. And through the book of Mark, he, Mark, he showed me that a soft heart directly relates to faith, um, enables faith. One sign of a soft heart is that you are that you can be aware of your sin and that you can be grieved by it and that you would want to repent of it. Now, I've definitely been in places and stages of my life where my heart is hard, that either I think I don't have any sin or I don't really care that I have. I know that I'm doing something wrong, but I don't really care that I'm doing it wrong. Who's had that? The you know, theoretically, I know this is wrong, but I don't really care that I'm doing it. That is a hard heart. That's a very good indication of a hard heart. Chapter 2, verse 5, they're bringing the guy through the roof um, to be healed. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes, verse 6, were sitting there reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who, fin who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned within themselves. And he said, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the, to the paralytic your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. So, obviously, indication, the Pharisees had hard hearts. Jesus just healed someone. And what they're immediately doing is they're questioning whether he should have done it or not. They don't care about the person that was healed. There's no love in their hearts. They can't rejoice that someone's life has just changed. But they immediately have to question whether it should have happened. It's just like me, a drain out bonky. I can't rejoice that someone just got up out of their wheelchair. I immediately have to reason in my heart whether this is real or whether this should have happened. It's a hard heart. To, to verse 17, um, he, he, Jesus answering him, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not call, come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then if you go down to verse 21 and 22, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away. And the tears made worse. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wineskin bursts. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. A new heart, a soft heart. When you have an old, hardened heart, it can't take new wine. Wine is, is very similar to fire. 
It's the things, the, the abundance that God gives. We need a, a soft heart that comes through repentance to be able to take that wine. Chapter 3, there's a man with a withered hand and the same situation happens. Jesus says to him, step forward. Verse 4, he says to him, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or evil, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent because they, they felt that he shouldn't heal on the Sabbath because it's work. And when he had looked around at them with anger, Jesus, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against Jesus. Jesus was grieved by the hardness of their hearts. He is a man who wants to be healed. The only thing they can think about is whether it's the right day to do it. And the healing happens, and they couldn't care less. They immediately want to judge Jesus and go out and, and um, plot against him. Mark chapter 4, the parable of the seed. Some fell on stony ground, a hard heart, where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. Because it had no root, it withered away. When your heart is hot, there's not a lot of place for the word to take hold. Now, before I go on to the next verse, we will all one day go to heaven. Heaven is perfect. Earth is not perfect. God created earth. Sin happened. There's sin on earth. Lots of things. There was the fall. Lots of things are not the way it's supposed to be. In heaven, everything is the way it's supposed to be. The Lord's Prayer says, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in so yes eternally we're all going to live in heaven that is going to happen in the meantime we want people to be saved we want as many people as possible to have opportunity to go to heaven to connect to jesus one a big way that we do that is we bring heaven to earth so we partner with god and he keeps making earth more like heaven so that people can see it so that they would turn to him now we went to a conference in Joburg last week. It's really amazing. Give your feedback. We'll still schedule a day to do that. A lot of the team couldn't be here today. But one of the things that Paul Manwaring said, which, which was so amazing for me, is that there's always a tension and a mystery in bringing heaven to earth. So in heaven, no one dies from illness. There is no illness, and people don't die. They live forever. So as Christians, we believe that people can be healed from illness. And we contend for that. Yet, sometimes it doesn't happen. Now there's this problem. We believe people can be healed, but sometimes they don't get healed. So what are we going to do? So some people say, no, Jesus doesn't heal. Because that solves it, right? So in heaven, get, people get healed. On earth, sometimes they don't. So let's just say Jesus doesn't heal. Then there's no more problem. But the alternative is to keep the tension. To say, oh, so people say, they go one way or the other. They either say, Jesus doesn't heal, or they say you weren't healed because of your sin. They try to explain why you weren't healed. So we don't believe in either of those. Jesus heals. Sometimes people don't get healed, and we don't know why they sometimes don't get healed. This is a mystery, and it's a tension. And this is the tension that we get to keep between heaven and earth. We continue to contend for heaven on earth, but when, when it doesn't present that way, we believe that God is good. And this is a humility acknowledgement, and I, I want to witness with what Matthew did leading us to our knees. This is the acknowledgement of humility. We don't understand it. Jesus can heal all illnesses. He wants us to bring heaven to earth, but sometimes things don't get healed. We contend for it. We'll never ex just accept illness. We will always contend for it, but sometimes it doesn't work out the way we wanted it to. And this is the tension and the mystery where we say, God is good. I'm not going to doubt that God is good. And we literally cannot explain why it's like this. But this is because we are people and God is God and we are not God. And we accept the humility that we cannot explain everything that God does. It's not for us to understand everything he does and explain everything he does. Um, Matthew, Mark 4 verse 11, Jesus said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. Now ask Jesus why he always speaks in parables. So Jesus says, to you who know me, it's for you to know the mystery. Didn't say for you to understand the mystery. 
We don't always get to understand. That's okay because we are not leaning on our understanding. But we get to know the mystery. And there's a tension there. Verse 25, whoever has to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That's hunger. The more hungry you become for the things of God, the more he can give it to you. But the more you decide that you've already had enough, the less you get. That's how hunger works. Now the last point I want to make from Mark, and then I'll finish off there, is related to some of the miracles. Mark 4 verse 40, they were in the boat, there was a storm. Uh, Jesus came, he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Okay, they were scared of the storm. And Jesus says to the disciples, why do you have no faith? Now, if we move on to another miracle. Feeding the 5,000, Mark 6, verse 34. Jesus saw the great multitude and he was moved with compassion, a sign of a soft heart. You actually care about people. And um, he speaks, and then one, Jesus said to the disciples, give them something to eat. And the disciples say, we only have this little bit. And then Jesus says, just bring it to me. And then he multiplies it, and then there's enough. And then um, just after that, for the second time, they're in a storm on the sea. We, I'm at Mark 6, verse 45. And again, they're scared, and again, Jesus comes, and he... Um, He's there, and obviously, first I think it's a ghost, but then they see it's him, and then everything is fine. Then verse 51, he went to the boat to them. The wind ceased. They were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. So they just, just before, they were in a storm, and Jesus solved it for them. Just this very same day, they didn't have enough food, and it was multiplied. Now they're again in a storm, and Jesus comes to them and says they greatly marveled. And verse 52 says, For they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. Because they had hard hearts, the miracles they were seeing was not producing faith in them. This is like me, at Reynard Bonke. My heart was hard. I was seeing genuine miracles. I was in the presence of God, but did not produce faith in me. Could not see it for what it was. And then, again in verse 8, same situation. They're out somewhere that people don't have food. This is the exact same thing happening. They bring something. Jesus um, gives it out. And he says to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. This is Mark 8, verse 15. I believe one of the things Jesus is speaking about, if you just look at the context of the chapter, is this hardness of heart. Every time they encounter the Pharisees, there's a hardness of heart. Don't care about the people about the healing. Just care about the, way, the fact that things must be done right, according to our law. Now the disciples don't understand what Jesus is saying. They reason amongst himself and said, it's because we have no bread. And Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, verse 17, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets of fragments did you take up? Twelve. How is it that you do not understand? Have you not perceived nor understood? Is your heart still hardened? God is the only one who can make a hard heart soft. And before he can do that, we need to even know that our hearts are hard. And we need him to expose that to ourselves. And, and you know, sometimes it's good to, to go on these journeys with the Lord where there's where it's out of your comfort zone, because it exposes things in you. The gain is not always just the miracle and the breakthrough. The gain is the journey. The gain is what you win on the way there. Sometimes you win more on the way than you win at the destination, because God is exposing your heart. What is the prerequisite for wanting, for having hunger, for wanting more of God? To want more of God, you have to ask Him for it. It's vulnerable, it's surrendering, and it takes risk. So the prerequisite is for you to know that God is good. You cannot trust God for something. You can't make yourself vulnerable to Him. To want hunger is to want to be vulnerable before God. 
it's very inhumane to be make yourself vulnerable to someone who's not good. That's not really psychologically healthy. Um, to make yourself vulnerable to someone. Jesus coming to some of you and you just you just be honest with God if you're not convinced yet of his goodness just admit to him if you're not sure whether he's good just because maybe you haven't thought about it really maybe you have had bad experiences but I just see Jesus coming to some of you this morning this morning that God is good and maybe that's enough for you but for some of you God is going to take you on a journey now that he is good and I want you to respond to God and you know thoughts get lost so just speak
journey with some people here this morning who have been carrying a great weight because you've not been sure whether God is good so you've you've been walking around having to protect yourself from him so you learned that they are not fully good so you have to hold a little bit back and it's really exhausting you and I just believe this morning Jesus is saying if you want you can let go of that people are not fully good but I am there's some of you that the Lord wants you to he's inviting you to give over that burden because it's really really tiring morning it comes with risk it's like falling off the back of a cliff let go and fall but it, it is scary you don't know where you're going but you, that's where you have to know God is good Repentance, forgiveness, it's the way of Christian life. It's the way of life. Jesus that you change that keep illuminating our hearts help us God to treasure our hearts to understand how valuable our hearts are to you Lord it's the most valuable thing that there is on this earth is the hearts of people value and steward our own hearts we would continually bring it before you. And Father, we ask you for that hunger. Thank you for that hunger, Lord, of more of your presence, more that you give us that hunger, Lord. We can repent of not being hungry. We can repent of just being satisfied with where we're at. Thank you for a new hunger, Lord, that you invite us into the mystery, you invite us into your glory, inviting us into your presence, inviting us into more partnership, more of the supernatural, living more in heaven, more with you. And we choose that this morning, Lord. Amen. I just this, got this unction that God really wants to save us this morning anew. And um, we want to sort it out. We want to figure it out. We want to change it. And so I just have this overwhelming sense that Jesus wants to save us from ourselves this morning. So while every eye is closed, if you're here this morning, and especially if you're relationship with Jesus is not life it's academic it's maybe a little discipline that you do but there's no life there's no reality there's no hearing God's voice I want to pray for you as well maybe you've never confessed that Jesus is your Lord comes to change us I cannot change myself only Jesus can change me
saying, Jesus, come and change me. If you know that that's the state of your heart. So while every eye is closed, if that's you this morning. Now we prayed for the hardness.